his only son. His only son commissioned the church to go and make disciples of all nations. The church of the center region is called to make disciples. The world begins right next door with your neighbor. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You may be the only church your neighbor ever knows. Hi, my name is Nicole Maurer. I'm involved with eFree. Um, I met Emily about a year and a half ago at a house concert. We became fast friends. We figured out we were both vegan, so we ate Indian food together uh, like the next day. And somehow the conversation turned to spiritual things very quickly. I didn't even bring it up, which was really crazy. And she, I don't even think I had to invite her to church because she was just in a place where she was really looking for that. And so I think she came to church with me pretty soon after that lunch we had together and was just very interested in getting to know people and um, coming back. So she came to my small group and the whole time just, <clears throat> I mean, my small group had prayed for her, I had prayed for her, and it was really exciting to see God opening her heart to things and in ways that I hadn't even expected. And so um, she became a really good friend, and so it felt very natural and very um, organic to just share my life and my heart with her, which obviously included Jesus and his love for her. And so it's just been exciting to watch God answer prayers um, for her and use her now. that we have multimedia now well good morning grace fellowship church my name is tom hallman i'm one of the elders here and it is my joy to open god's word with you this morning if you don't have a bible a pen or an outline uh, we can do a second call here for those that came in a little bit late we have uh, those available in the back and if you just put a hand up someone will bring one to you we're going to be in john chapter 13 this morning if you want to turn there, it's page 585 in your church Bibles. If you don't have a church Bible, I don't know what page it is, but it's toward the back. Today we're going to be continuing our series on the church next door. You just saw the video for it. Last week we heard about what it means to be a praying church. And today we're going to focus on the idea of what it means to be a caring church. That is, what does it mean for a church to demonstrate genuine, deep love, both inwardly and outwardly. That is, how can we love one another well here in this church, as well as love all those outside this funny-looking brick building that we spend Sunday mornings in? So, before we dive in there, can we start by acknowledging that love is hard work? Seven years ago, a little over seven years ago, I married the girl of my dreams, the beautiful woman in the back row there with the purple hair who was playing guitar for us. And uh, she serves this church week after week, playing worship, helping with Sunday school. She serves me in countless ways. And yet I confess that at times, it's still difficult to love her. How many of us, I know, it's shocking. How many of us have kids who are equal parts cute and difficult? I have three of them so far. Uh, and it's, it's difficult at times to love them. And my own mother, 
who we just celebrated her birthday uh, just the other day, who has nursed me and raised me and is probably the most generous person I've ever known uh, and who even wa you know, helps watch my cute and difficult children uh, so many times. Even she, if you can believe it, is sometimes difficult to love. My brother's nodding in the back. Uh, <laughs> amen. Yeah, we love you, Mom. <laughs> and what of our neighbors? Is it, is it easy to love your neighbors when you are diligently raking all your leaves and they're all taken care of, but your neighbors are a little delinquent, and then when the wind comes by, their leaves suddenly become your leaves? Uh, is, is that easy to love them? No. Or when you get your front yard, your flower beds, everything looking just right, and then the, you know, the neighbor kids come tearing through with some kind of crazy contraption, destroying everything you just worked on, it's very hard to love them in those moments. Or perhaps you have a neighbor who never says hi to you, despite your best efforts. Or perhaps they're constantly saying hi to you, uh, despite your best efforts. And in all these cases, it's difficult to love people. Now, to my great joy, some of you in this church are absolutely knocking the ball out of the park in this realm. Uh, but I'm not. I am not up here this morning because the church carefully selected the most caring individual that they could think of. Rather, I think they picked the biggest struggler so I could speak from weakness and encourage all of you who are also struggling. It's really true. I, I do not consider myself good at this. I consider my wife very good at this, but not myself. And so this morning, my goal is to look at God's word together so that we can learn together how to do this even more effectively. So what we're going to do, if you have your outline, is we're going to first look at uh, inward care from John 13, and then spend the rest of our time examining outward care, looking at Luke chapter 10. But let's start by uh, asking for the Lord's blessing as we open his word together. Jesus, you are uh, the most loving person who has ever existed. Love was your idea, and in fact, the Bible says that you are love. And God, we can't have any hope of caring for one another if, it's, uh, if you're not saturating our lives. And uh, so, God, we look to your word, uh, to, to the very words that you spoke and the, the encouragements you gave us in order to learn better uh, what it means to love. Help us to love one another better. Help us to love those outside this church uh, that all would know your name and the incredible love that comes with it. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Just a couple quick verses. This is Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me make several observations about what Jesus says in these couple verses. First, the model for loving one another is Jesus himself. He says, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. To say it another way, if you ever want to know what love looks like, look to Jesus. Unlike me, he was a master at it, and he is our model. Secondly, the result of loving one another is that we will demonstrate ourselves to be his disciples, that is, Christians. And I say that because Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, we recently looked at, as a church, we looked together at 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. We did a series on that, and this theme was there too, wasn't it? That, that John, in those letters, as well as in this, um, this gospel that he wrote, said that... Uh, if you're a Christian, 
or if you want to know if you're a Christian, you ask yourself, do I love the brothers? Do I love other Christians? If the answer is yes, praise God. That's evidence of God's work in you. If the answer is no, then there's a very good chance that you are not actually a Christian. So that's the very same thing Jesus is telling us here. You, you can know, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Which brings us to our next point, the, the, the audience here that Jesus is talking about, the audience of loving one another is all people. Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples. In other words, outward care, loving those outside the church, which we're going to talk about in a moment, is really important. However, if we don't get the inward care part right first, the outward care will be significantly hindered. All people will know that we are Jesus' disciples if we are loving each other very well. So we need to get that right first. And lastly, let me simply observe that Jesus really, really means this. We just read two verses, but in just those two verses, he says three times to love one another. Okay? Jesus doesn't waste words, and John would not have recorded wasted words. He's trying to make a point here. This is really important. Love one another, love one another, love one another. No excuses, even if it's hard. Now, I have very good news. From where I sit in Grace Fellowship Church, you guys shine in this area which is why it's the smaller portion of your outline. Uh, I don't need to admonish you guys to get your act together. I'm sure there are churches in the city church where this is a struggle, where they're really trying to get the church to love one another well. They maybe are doing the outward care, they're struggling in the inward. I do not have that concern for you guys. One of the perks of leading the shepherding team here at Grace Fellowship Church is that I hear stories firsthand, secondhand, and thirdhand about how well you guys are doing at this. It's really remarkable, and I love getting to be in this position. Uh, many of you have gushed to me about your growth groups. I mean, like, I think gushed is the right word. You just you use many words to tell me how much you love your growth group, how much you love being part of that community, and how you look forward to that week after week after week. That's awesome. And I, that's true of my growth group. I, I, it's the highlight of my week every week. I love when that uh, group gets together and, and looks at God's word and eats delicious food provided by Jenny and other people. Uh, there's rarely anything left, and it makes us happy. Uh, recently, also, as another example, the shepherding team met together with the college students in the church. Many of you were there for that meeting. For those of you that weren't, let me give you a few snippets of the types of things that were shared during that meeting. The family atmosphere is better than any other church I've seen. Yeah, I was taking notes on what you guys were saying. Uh, <laughs> The intimate small groups and other relationships are amazing. The church is just so nice. I feel very loved. I love the, the small groups. I love my growth group. And we recognize and love new people who come. That's awesome. That's awesome. Many of you also, in addition, and then I'll, then I'll move on, but you guys regularly get together uh, in in. in individuals and in small groups to uh, to pray together, to fellowship together, to encourage one another, to just plain love one another, to do fun things together, and to, to just enjoy one another. And you're doing it because Jesus loved you, and you are eager, you want to love others. No one's making you. There's no, you know, small group training program that we've sent you all through such that now you, okay, I have to love people. No, you're doing it. You really want to. You are mastering this inward care. As Jesus loved, so this church is loving in ever-increasing measure. Praise God. I love that I can say all those nice things and be completely honest with you guys. Still, at the same time, 
we can always love one another better, right? So let me give you three very practical things that you can do uh, to love one another even better. Number one is mentoring. Is someone mentoring you in this church? Or are you mentoring somebody else? If not, here is how to make that happen in just a few easy steps. Step one, find someone else in the church. Step two, suggest a meal together. Step three, at said meal, ask what God is doing in their lives. Or observe a way in which you see God at work in their lives. Uh, Read a passage together, any passage, a favorite passage, pick a random psalm, uh, there's, there's rich blessing in studying God's word together. Pray together. Just do any smattering of those things together. It, you know, and, and sometimes I think, and, and some of you guys have said this to me, um, you like the idea of mentoring, but you're like, well, do I, like, do I need to find someone godlier than me in the church? And so they're mentoring me. Or you know, I need to find someone who's like new, a new believer, and I don't really know who those are, and so I can't really mentor someone else. And, and you kind of get stuck trying to get the hierarchy right. I understand what you're trying to say there, but don't worry about who's more mature, who's godlier, older, whatever. Jesus wasn't real keen on people wondering who was the greatest, and I don't think we need to be either. Just get together. Don't worry about it. You will be blessed no matter what side of the equation you're on. I guarantee it. And then step four is just repeat. Do it again. You can do it with the same person every week, every month randomly throughout the year. You can do it with different groups of people so you get to know everybody. Just do it. Just do some mentoring, some some coaching, some discipleship, some loving Jesus together and being his disciples. It's, I guarantee, uh, for, for anybody who's not doing it, taste and see. You will love it. So that's number one. That's mentoring. Real practical. Number two, growth groups. Okay, growth groups, we, ha- we have growth groups here for every member, for singles, for families, for college students, for kids. Uh, Many of you are already involved, and that's great. I'm, I'm so glad. For those of you that, ha- that are not, some of you have told me that a reason you're not involved, and this isn't the only reason I've heard, but a reason that you're not involved is because you feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm being fed really well. I don't feel like I really need a growth group to be fed more. Um, I'm loving the Sunday morning services. I'm blessed by the small groups we have uh, after uh, at the end of the service. I am being fed from online videos and other such things. And I say praise God. That's great. I'm really, really glad that, that is happening. However, let me, let me also encourage you that growth groups aren't just there so that you can be fed, but so that you could feed others. Uh, it's, it's really a, a two-way street. Um, you know, the Ipers just joined our church. They're now members. So glad you guys are here. Thank you for coming and for becoming members, covenant, covenanting with us to love one another well. And and they know, we talked about this, that, that churches, God never intended them to be like buffets that we just all, all go and just eat from as much as we want. But rather, the, the metaphor the Bible uses is that it, we're a living body together. And, and just as we are not complete without the Ipers and they are not complete without us, it'd be like if, if I just lopped off my arm. I couldn't do all kinds of things. Or if, if, um, you know, if I got a, a, even a minor injury, like if my heel was hurting, the rest of the body would have to carry the weight to, to help that area. That's the image we have. And so that, that's why we have these growth groups. That's why I want to emphasize growth groups. If you're not part of a growth group and you want to check it out and see it, how can I serve, we have a list right up there on the back bulletin board of when they meet and who you can talk to. It's also on the church member's website. And if you need access, let me know. Or just come talk to me afterwards or any of the elders. We'd be delighted to help you find a, a growth group that works for your schedule. 
Then, here's the loving people part, is get creative. You guys, I know you're good at loving one another, and so do it through your growth group. Grab a friend or your spouse in the growth group and look around the room and say, who can I love? Like, who here can we just encourage? That may mean something as simple as just writing them a card or a note, just explaining where you see God at work in their lives. We all need to hear that. Uh, a lot of times we're oblivious to it. We don't see God at work. We just see that our, our weaknesses and our sin and our failings. To have someone say, wow, you really blessed me when you said this or did this, that type of thing is such, a, is such an encouragement, and it's really easy to do. Um, more practically, you could help some of the older church members with things like yard work. Uh, for some of the young families, I'm sure would love some babysitting or even just adult conversation once in a while. Kate was just over at our house last night. It was so nice to talk to an adult. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. Usually I'm just talking about Jake and the Neverland Pirates constantly. Um, or, you know what, just, just go all out. Do something crazy to love someone. Some years ago in this church, there was a, there was a young lady who, uh, we, some of our, our, some of us who were her friends found out that some of her favorite things in the world were playing soccer and doing pool parties. The problem is that she had a November birthday. Bummer. So she never got to do her really fun things that she wants to do on her birthday. So we got together, schemed a little bit, and threw her a surprise birthday party in August. Okay? That, she totally didn't see it coming, understandably. We invited a ton of her friends. We tricked her into showing up at this one particular place. And we ran around and got all hot and sweaty playing soccer. Then went to a friend's house where there was a, a pool. And all of her friends had brought some of her favorite dishes, which we also sneakily found out from her. And needless to say, she was just blown away. Just blown away. And she told me years later that every time she thinks back to that event, she's reminded of God's rich love for her. Just wow, people. It wasn't hard. It was fun. Like, I would have done that no matter what. Uh, and that was just a, a fun opportunity. And let me encourage you guys, let's fill the church with stories like that, shall we? And last practical, before we move on to the outward care, rides. Rides. When we were meeting with the students, one of the things that the shepherding team discovered is that there are people who want to come to Grace Fellowship Church but do not have rides. Do you have an extra spot or two in your car? And... Could we have you just swing by campus or other places where people are waiting and could use some rides to get here and be blessed by this community that God has given us? If you're interested, come and talk to me. I would love to utilize your help. We haven't figured out all the details of how that'll work yet, but the shepherding team is working on it, and we just need people who are willing to help. Okay, so inward care. Let's talk about outward care now, okay? Outward care. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. That's just a few pages back. It's 564 in the church Bibles. 564, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. This is a familiar tale. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This familiar story began with a question. Who is my neighbor? What's the answer? Simply put, Jesus says, it's anybody who has a need. Now, the priest and the Levite might have answered differently. They'd say that that abused man who was lying half dead in the gutter was not their responsibility, not their neighbor. But Jesus disagreed. He says we ought to love anybody who needs it. And guess what? That's everyone. All of us have needs. Sometimes what we need is a helping hand. Other times it's, uh, it's a, an advocate or, or as in this passage, they need compassion. Sometimes they need a mentor or a listening ear or perhaps a rebuke. And the one thing that every single person alive needs to hear is the gospel. They need to know what Jesus did for them, Christians included, because we forget. Though the Bible says to keep our eyes on Christ and on what he's done for us, we lose sight and get discouraged. It happens to me all the time. But in most cases, God gently reminds us anew. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. We are sons and daughters of Christ, and our joy is restored to us. But for those who aren't Christians and who haven't heard uh, about Jesus and about the gospel and, and, and all these wonderful things that we pray and sing and talk about every week, their need is far, far greater than ours. Like the man in this parable, their souls are stripped and beaten and half dead and lying all around us. And for anything like me, I all too often follow in the example of that priest and that Levite and just walk by on the other side. I've got places to be, things to do. Are you anything like me? Do you walk by on the other side? When's the last time you shared the gospel with a neighbor? Or... If you're like me, when's the last time you even prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel with a neighbor? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time on today. It's because I think Grace Fellowship Church does really, really well loving one another inwardly, but we struggle to love our half-dead neighbors by sharing this good news with them. So let's talk about that. Why do we struggle? I'm sure there are many ways, but we'll consider today five hindrances that I personally myself struggled with, uh, and perhaps you have too. So hopefully, by God's grace, these will encourage us to throw away these hindrances. They're unnecessary. The gospel is much better news. So these are, uh, these are the points on your outline there. Hindrance number one is ignorance. That is, I don't know the gospel. Let's start here. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. We're so glad you're here. God brought you here purposefully so that you could hear this. Uh, or maybe you're a Christian here this morning, but you, you've never really had the gospel explained to you. You don't really know what it means. So, the gospel, stated plainly, is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for our sins 
and then rose again from the dead so that we are forgiven, we are free, and we are loved. That's why we're even talking about this caring church thing. Once more, Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for our sins and rose again from the dead so that we are completely forgiven, free, and loved. Now, I just use a lot of funny words, and you may not be familiar with what all those words mean. You might be wondering, what is sin? Why does that matter? And what did Jesus' death have to do with our forgiveness? Or, um, you know, why does Jesus' resurrection matter? Or uh, what does it mean to be free? You know, I, I thought I was free already. And you know what? I wish I had time to answer those really great questions from up front today, but I don't. Uh, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is the one who revealed these things to you over time. And as you continue to attend Grace Fellowship, go to these growth groups, grab these meals together, as we talked about, it'll start making more and more sense over time. Let me be honest, I still struggle to understand some of these things sometimes and the, the implications of them. So, that's hindrance number one. Maybe you didn't know what the gospel was, and now you do. Hindrance number two is inexperience. That is, I don't know how to share the gospel. If you've used this reason, you're in good company. I used to use it a lot myself, especially when I was a new Christian. And you know what? There's truth in it. Like I said, I'm trying to understand the gospel more myself all the time. So inexperience is okay. You don't always know how to share. But let me encourage you with this. There is a story in John chapter 4. We're not going to look at it right now. But in John 4, Jesus has this pretty short encounter with a woman uh, who, uh, after just a few minutes, it seems, goes from having no idea who Jesus was and why it mattered to being so excited that she runs back to the town she was from after talking with him and starts telling everybody about Jesus. Now, what's really remarkable about it is that she had hardly any experience. She was fully inexperienced in sharing the gospel. In fact, I would even say that she shared inaccurately about the gospel. Uh, because what she, in this five minute conversation, Jesus brings up a couple points in her life and she's like, whoa, I need the Messiah. And she runs back and she says, come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. In a five minute conversation, he told you everything you ever did. Not quite true. A little exaggeration going on there. But nonetheless, the Bible says that many people came to know Jesus through that encounter. Contrast that with her inexperience with, with the disciples, Jesus' Jesus's men, you know, who have been following him around, learning from him as he's been saying, go and preach the gospel. They went into that same town just minutes before to buy some food for Jesus because he was hungry. They didn't talk to anybody about Jesus. They didn't say, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did or even something more accurate than that. And they come trotting back and Jesus says, you missed it. The fields are white for harvest. Look at them. They're ready. And here's this whole town coming to know Jesus. And they missed the big opportunity. Inexperience doesn't seem to matter. This woman was fully inexperienced. Now, I have no doubt that that woman looked a bit foolish and some likely mocked her for her foolishness. But that's okay. Being mocked doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. I've been called everything from a Jesus freak to a hippie to a bigot and worse for sharing about Jesus. It could be much worse. And frankly, if you're not at least occasionally mocked for sharing the gospel, you're probably not sharing the gospel. Jesus said it would happen. So that's hindrance number two. 
inexperience. Hindrance number three, this is a big one for me, is busyness. I don't prioritize the gospel. Perhaps you're saying to yourself right now, Tom, I am on board. Gospel, good, I know it, we should preach it, but hey, I have a young family. I don't have time to share the gospel with my neighbors. Or you might be saying, Tom, I'm with you, but hey, I'm. Do- you know that short first point in your outline there, the shorter side of inward care? I'm doing that. The reason that's going so well is because I'm pouring myself into my growth group. I don't have time to share the gospel with my neighbors. Let somebody else do that. Perhaps you say, Tom, I want to, I'm on board, but I have a stressful job. It takes a lot of time. I have a long commute. It's really hard. I just don't have time to share the gospel. Or there are some of you in this church who have significant medical conditions. And you say, I just don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I'm sick. I can't share the gospel. Well, I have good news for you if busyness is your hindrance, if that's what's keeping you from doing it, which is that you may not need to add anything to your schedule at all. Just change how you're doing things. For example, if you have a young family, include them, use them, uh, reach other young families. You know, Allie and I have made lots of efforts to get to know uh, our, our immediate neighbors and those in our community. And so many times, I feel like we strike out. Like, we, we would just try to talk to them, and they just the conversation would be flat. They wouldn't be interested. We'd have them over for meals and stuff, and it's not really going anywhere. But as soon as our kids and their kids are romping together in the same yard, destroying the flower beds and everything, they're paying attention. Suddenly, they seem, like, way more open. And I don't know why, but, I've, but if I use the excuse, well, I have a young family. I can't share the gospel. I'm missing one of the best opportunities God has given me to share the gospel. Who knew? What about those of you who are investing so heavily in your growth group? Thanks for doing that. I'm so happy you're doing that. And I say, just use them in the same way. Just grab a friend in the growth group, find a neighbor that you can reach, and throw them an August surprise party or something. Just be creative. You don't have to do anything differently. Just do the same things you would normally do, but gear it towards some people who really need to hear this. Are you, having, are you the one in the stressful job? Well, there's a good chance that you're not the only one working there. And so everybody else probably feels the same stress. And those who aren't Christians have no hope of it getting any better, ever. They're going to live a stressful life with a stressful job, and then they're going to die, and they're going to go to hell. They need some hope. They need to hear that there's something better than this. This isn't all there is. And who better than to say, yeah, I know. Oh, I feel stressed too, brother. But let me tell you about something that gives me peace. Or, and I, I, I myself am a pretty healthy guy. I, I don't have any serious medical conditions. And so I say this humbly. But if you have a medical condition that is keeping you in bed or sick or debil- debilitated in some way, like witnessing in the midst of pain is one of the most surefire ways to get someone to listen. Uh, similar to the job, that you're probably not the only one who struggles with this condition or something similar. What an opportunity to say to someone, yeah, this, this stinks. I'm hurting. I don't have all the answers. But let me tell you what I do know. Jesus says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If we are feeling busy or tired or whatever the case may be, just trust Jesus. Do what he said to do and then see what he does. Hindrance number four. 
apathy. That is, others don't need the gospel. So let's ask a real question here. Do people really need to hear the gospel? Because when I look around my neighborhood, many of them have jobs and homes and families and savings accounts and dreams and everything, just like I do. They seem to be doing okay. They look happy. Do they, like, am I, aren't I just inconveniencing them by trying to share the gospel with them? Do they really need this? Well, think about it this way. We just discussed the fact that there are people, even in this very room, with serious medical conditions, right? They have a number of diseases, things like fibromyalgia and mixed connective tissue disease and um, hepatitis and cancer, just to name a few that I personally know of, and there's probably many more. And every one of these diseases have regular, expensive, painful, and sometimes fatal repercussions. Imagine that you had the cure to even one of these diseases. Would anybody here not share that cure? Just let me know. Raise your hand. I'm guessing not. Friends, the Bible says plainly that we all have a disease. Every one of us. It's a disease called sin, and we're born with it. Now, Cancer is bad. It's destructive. It's painful. But sin is far, far, far worse. And see, the thing about sin is it doesn't necessarily show up in MRIs. But it does show up in our selfishness, in our jealousy, and in our anger. And sin doesn't necessarily cripple our bodies. But it does cripple our relationships with friends and family and coworkers and neighbors even church members. And sin doesn't necessarily attack our immune system, but friends, it does leave us and our neighbors lying half dead in gutters, spiritually speaking. And without a cure for this disease, sin will continue to ravage our souls with only one possible outcome, eternity in hell. But thankfully, the Bible also tells us plainly that there is a cure for sin. And that cure's name is Jesus Christ. When Jesus died and rose again, sin lost all its power. Yes, sin still exists, but its days are numbered. Therefore, we can joyfully mock with the Apostle Paul when he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? You got nothing. You've lost all your power. You are, you are, you are weak. The cure of Jesus Christ for the disease of sin is powerful, immediate, and without even the slightest possibility of remission. So friends, if we don't tell our neighbors about Jesus, we are withholding the only hope they have to be cured of the disease of sin. None of us would hold back a cure for cancer. But some of us hold back the cure for something far worse. So, do people really need to hear the gospel? Yeah. And may that same gospel cure not only help their disease, but cure our apathy as well. Lastly, hindrance number five, pride. Pride. Others don't want the gospel. 
The essence of this hindrance is that we're convinced that even though people need the gospel, you might agree with that, but we're equally convinced that people don't want the gospel. But friends, the Bible calls that pride. Because Jesus told his disciples in that John 4 passage that the harvest is plentiful. And we, in our pride, say, you're a liar, God. It's not plentiful. People don't want this. They're not ready. I know better than you. People don't want it, and I'm not going to share it. I'm guilty of this in profound, deep, sinful ways. The most humbling example to me is that years ago, a young married couple moved into town here in State College. And they were related to my college roommate, who, after a few months, gave me a call and said, hey, you should reach out to this couple. Uh, They don't know Jesus, but they're looking for a church. And I, in my pride, said, well, you know, they probably really don't want to hear about Jesus, because if they did, I mean, this has been months, and they haven't found a church yet? They don't want it. I'm not going to waste my time. I got other things to do. So I walked by on the other side. Several months later, my college roommate called me again and said, hey, how's it going? Reaching out to that couple. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I've been really busy. I, I, I mean, I don't know. And After a brief conversation, I sulkily agreed to go and spend some time with them. You see where this is going, right? After getting together just a couple times to hang out and watch TV with them, I, in no fancy way whatsoever, said, so you want to like do a Bible study or something? And without missing a beat, they're like, yeah, we've, we've really wanted to be in a Bible study. We just don't know how to find one. I'm like, <laughs> so a couple weeks later, while studying Romans chapter three, the two of them in tears gave their lives to Jesus. The husband is now an elder in his church, and the wife is raising up three little boys to love and fear Jesus. And they named one of those boys after me. Every time I think of that little boy, I'm reminded the harvest is plentiful. The fields are ripe for harvest. And people really, really want to hear the gospel. Don't let your pride get in the way. So do you feel conviction right now? Possibly. That's between you and Jesus. Should you feel guilty? No. You shouldn't feel guilty. And I'll tell you why. Friends, Jesus doesn't just cure your disease on the day you become a Christian. He cures your disease of sin. Every single day, every single minute, completely, as much as is necessary. Because Romans 8.1 says, Friends, brothers, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you've believed in Jesus, you don't need to feel guilty for your sin. He's covered it. So what does it mean practically that we're not guilty? It means that you can have joy. God hasn't given up on you. You're not disqualified, there's still much opportunity, and you can start reaching out today. You don't have to wait for some spiritual high. Just find a neighbor, do a movie night, invite somebody. It means you can have expectation that God is really at work in our neighbor's hearts. 
that they really want this. And moreover, God really, really, really cares about your neighbors far more than you ever do or will or could. It means you can have faith. Just share this tiny little snippet about Jesus. Just share some hope you have and watch God work. And it means you can have love. Grace Fellowship Church is the most loving church I have ever known. Let's widen our arms and welcome our neighbors in. I think they'll love what they find here. So friends, here's your application. Every one of you should have one of these on your chair or nearby if your children haven't stolen it. We, along with the rest of the city church, a whole group of churches that showed up on that, that map in that video, are doing this thing called the 541 Initiative, or GOAL. And the idea is that every church, every church member, will try to think on the back of five people, just five people, that you need to share the gospel with, that you want to share the gospel with, that you feel inexperienced to share the gospel with, and so on. And just write down five people. Perhaps consider immediate neighbors, coworkers, classmates, people that need Jesus. And then we're going to start praying for them. For 40 days, we're going to pray for this group of people together, each of us in our growth groups, small groups, things like that. And the idea, is, this, this one idea, is that we are praying for one opportunity to share the gospel. You might have a hundred. We're just praying for one. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't have to be wild. So today, during small groups, consider the discussion questions in the back of your outline. Be honest with one another, with one another, encourage one another, and if you have opportunity, even begin praying for some of these people that you think of. Let me close our time in prayer right now to ask God to use our humble, broken efforts to win happy souls for him forever. Let's pray.